it's amazing how if you say anything with the word liberal or Democrat in certain conservative, it, it, you know, you can count down like three, two, one, abortion. Welcome to the Desert Voices podcast, spiritual conversations about thriving in the desert. I'm Holland Fields. And I'm Shalene Kendrick. We spark curiosity and boldly explore spirituality to contribute to human flourishing. Let's get curious. Let's get bold. So Shalene, you sent me an article by Rachel Held Evans that she wrote before the election, the last election in 2016. Right. And it was really powerful talking about the idea that a lot of Christians will only vote Republican because of abortion and pro-life. And she brings up some really good thoughts that I think we need to bounce back and forth as we enter into this conversation with Charlie. Yep. We're going to link on our website at desertvoices.com. We'll have a link to Rachel Held Evans who has since passed away. We are so grateful for her voice. She is a heroine for us in this revolution of a new kind of Christian. And in this article, she brought up some really valid points that I don't know that I necessarily agree with or disagree with. But what I really appreciated is that she made me think and she challenged a lot of my long held ideologies. Mm -hmm. And one of the things that she talks about is when voting for a pro-choice president for the first time in her life, again, she's talking about 2016. And she says, I believe that the way to keep this going, to keep the trend going, to make it harder for women to terminate unwanted pregnancies is not to make them criminal, but rather to create a culture with fewer unwanted pregnancies to begin with. She goes on to say that data suggests progressive social policies that make healthcare and childcare more affordable, make contraception more accessible and alleviate poverty and support a living wage are the most things that create a culture, again, where unwanted pregnancies are fewer and farther between. So while countries where abortion is simply illegal, they don't often see a change in their abortion rates. Mm -hmm. I think this is really powerful. And she writes, by focusing exclusively on the legal components of abortion while simultaneously opposing these family-friendly social policies, the Republican Party has managed to hold pro-life voters hostage with the promise of outlawing abortion, which has actually yet to happen under any Republican administration since Roe vs. Wade. I really appreciate, too, that she strongly says, while I think abortion is morally wrong in most cases, and she does support more legal restrictions around it, I appreciate that she says, I often vote for pro-choice candidates when I think their policies will do more to address the health and economic concerns that drive women to get abortions in the first place. And I I deeply resonate with that because I do believe that in most cases, abortion is morally wrong. And I do also support legal restrictions around it. And I am now more inclined than ever to look into what are these policies that can address health and economic concerns that do drive women to get abortions in the first place. And again, I'm saying this over and over again, that this issue is more complicated than what I first believed and what I first wanted to look into. Mm -hmm. And that it's, this is what it means also to do your work. Right. This is yeah. not just about anti-racism work, but this is about doing your work also applies to abortion topics. And I do think abortion is morally wrong in most cases. And also, I do not necessarily think that criminalizing it is going to reduce the number of abortions in our country. 
And I, quite frankly, I don't know what the answer is. I don't know. But I'm willing to listen and I'm willing to learn and I'm willing to ask hard questions and start to dig into the deeply held ideologies in my own life and my own heart. And I'm starting to question those. Yeah. And start to figure out, I don't know. I don't know if I'm figuring out anything, but I'm, my curiosity is sparked and I'm boldly exploring the conversation around abortion in a way that I did not in the election four years ago. Okay, so we just continued our conversation with Charlie McCauley about politics. And as we ended, we were like, we need to talk about abortion because that was the topic that really shifted, would you say, Charlie, your kind of flip? Yeah, I mean, it was a long journey, but that was so central to me in my political right-leaning stance that it surprised me that it became also the central issue for me on my left-leaning stance. When I learned more information, as we talked about, and began to change my mind, it surprised me the most to change my mind on that issue because I still care deeply. Yeah, absolutely. I can definitely affirm that. Yeah. Cool. All right, we want to talk about abortion. I feel like for... So many, especially those who identify as Christian, that's the number one issue and the number one reason to vote. And and honestly, the number one reason to vote Republican. Right. So let's. Yeah, well, that's me. I, let's I, reframe this. I have shared publicly the last time I voted for a Republican was in 2008. And it was for that reason. I My wife got interested in Barack Obama and I started following and being interested as kind of a moderate, independent shifting along the ways. And I went into a booth here in Arizona planning to vote for Barack Obama. And I looked down and I could not do it. I could not vote for a pro-choice candidate. And I, I imagine a lot of people listening are going, yes, that's me. Like, right. I could never vote for someone who supports killing babies. And then I wept with joy when Barack Obama won. <laughs> like, And I didn't vote for him. I was so embarrassed in 2008. But I was so happy that he won. And I was also happy that I, my conscience got to say I didn't vote for a pro-choice candidate. No, I think you're right. And I think that's a huge... And I feel that way. I mean, if I'm honest, I do feel that way in a lot of ways. Right. I so... Mean, It's ingrained in us. Well, there's a couple of things that really shifted my view on this. First of all, it's insane to think that any pro-choice person wants to kill babies. It can't be that simple, right? Like we can step back and go, there's probably not a lot of people out there that are like, let's get as many abortions as we can. It's just not what it is. Gallup polling shows over 80% of people are, are very appalled by abortion. What I didn't understand at the time is how incredibly complex of a biomedical ethic question it is. We want ones and zeros. We want black and white. We want a simple answer. And unfortunately, abortion, above all other ethical things, is not a one or a zero. It's not a black or a white. Not all abortions are the same. Eptopic pregnancies are very different yeah. than late-term abortions, which really get people's blood boiling. And there's a lot of misinformation out there. I got to study um, abortion as a biomedical ethic at St. Andrews and do a whole module. And it blew my mind how complex it is. Because I thought it was simple. It's like, oh, pro-choice people think, and I think they have terrible marketing. I'm going to criticize the left here, even though I'm mostly on the left. I hate that it's the woman's body's choice. And it's like, well, any thinking person, no matter where you are on a political spectrum, understands that there are two bodies involved. Like it is a woman's body and her choice, but that's bad marketing because pro-life people are just going, yeah, but there's another life and another body involved. Good marketing from pro-choice candidates would understand that pro-choice policies and progressive policies always lower the number of abortions. There's a great Lancet Journal review uh, to study 20 different countries. A lot of people don't understand this. They think that because of marketing, that voting pro-life means that you will make abortions illegal and abortions will stop. That's not true. You would criminalize abortions and they would not stop. 
Most people don't know that the highest abortion rates in the world are in countries that have abortion is illegal. They're in South American countries that are Catholic countries and abortion is illegal and they have the highest abortion rates. Why is that? Because people don't abort their babies because they want to murder a baby. Yeah. It's because they can't afford to have a baby and they're terrified of the quality of life. Now, we often think of the teenage girl that's embarrassed that she got pregnant and that does happen. And I will go on the conservative side and say, I think it's a moral evil if someone just doesn't want to have a baby and they decided to extinguish a life, which we don't know when life begins. Christians don't know. Ethicists don't know. It's a giant mystery. Some things that really impacted me Somebody gave the analogy to me one time and it really blew my mind. If we really think we know for sure when life begins, it's a hypothetical ethical thing. But let's say you're in a hospital and a fire breaks out and there's a whole bunch of fertilized embryos that are frozen here by Christian parents, by the way, who are anti-abortion. And they're going to discard most of these fertilized mm -hmm. embryos because they have no problem with IVF, even though they say life is already conceived at that moment. This fire breaks out and there's all these fertilized embryos over a thousand of them, let's say. And there's a little two-year-old girl right over there. And you only have time to grab either the tray of embryos or that two-year-old girl. Which are you going to do? Like, is there something is in there your a intuition? In there? Yes, <laughs> there, there is a question. What, what would you do? Would you grab the tray and let the two-year-old die, or would you grab the two-year-old and let a thousand embryos die in the fire that are frozen over here? Now, my point is, I, I would hope to grab them both. Like, I, I think there's a lot of gray here, and there's value in those embryos, but it's in our intuition that there's something very complicated about this. Eptopic pregnancies. It's a hundred percent death rate. If it implants in a fallopian tube, an embryo, the woman and the child will die, period. And even the Catholic Church, which is the only Christian denomination which has consistently been pro-life, Protestants weren't until it became politically advantageous in the late 70s mm. and early 80s. Even the Catholic Church says, yeah, in that case, you can remove the embryo, and if it lives on its own outside of the body, you didn't really kill it. So they do these like moral gymnastics around a very complicated question. People say, okay, well, that's fine, but what about Democrats who want to pass these late-term abortion laws like in Virginia, right? They're obviously evil. Well, no. The late-term abortions are actually the hardest of all. You're women. Let me ask you. If you, got an unwanted, if, you, if you got an unwanted pregnancy, would you carry it until the ninth month and go through nine months of pregnancy and at the last second go, you know what? I don't think I want this baby. I'm going to have someone murder it in the womb because I don't want this baby. Is that something that a lot no. of women would choose? No. 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 In, in fact, they don't. We can look at peer-reviewed research again. Late-term abortions are terribly tragic. 99.9% .9 of all of them, which they're rare anyway, mm. are parents who desperately want their child. And a doctor comes in and tells them the worst news they could possibly imagine, that their child's brainstem didn't develop. And they have a, the hardest choice they're ever going to have to face that I pray no one will have to face. Do I give birth to this child who will slowly suffocate and has no chance of living, go through all the complications? Or do I perform a late-term abortion so that it doesn't slowly suffocate over an hour and avoid the complications of a potential dangerous birth? It's not simple. And I'm not saying either of those things is right, but we often get our blood boiling about things that we don't even understand. Yeah. We don't even understand that some topics are so big and hairy. If we don't have a face or a name or a story, mm -hmm. then we can just say all Democrats are baby killers. It's not true. And mm -hmm. all Republicans love all life. It's not true. It's a complicated issue. And it has controlled many people of faith for a long time. And the dark thing is that was intentional. They chose to use this issue, the Republican Party, when they lost on segregation. There was a phone call after they lost a litigation on Bob Jones University. And somebody at the end of that phone call said, well, what about abortion? And they found an anchor point that rallied people to say, this is how we're going to tie evangelical voters. And it's worked for 40 years since that phone call.
Um, so I think it's important for people to know things like that, right. to unpack that. Yeah. It may be that voting for Democrats, in fact, historically lowers the abortion rate. The highest abortion rates in recorded American history were under which presidency? Ronald Reagan. Because a lot of Republican policies and conservative policies limit sex education, limit preventing unwanted pregnancies, and increase economic inequality, which is the number one driver of abortion. So it's one of those things that I think a lot of people need to just go, oh, maybe I should at least learn more. And mm-hmm. it's okay if you end up on the other side still going, you know what, I just have to vote my conscience because that's important. But it's in, there's a lot of information that isn't really readily available out there. So how's that for drinking from a fire hydrant? It's like no, a thank vomit. you for sharing. Yeah. yeah. It's good. And it's a good hot topic to talk about. And what do we think about this? And, you know, I would even say, even as a woman, I'm still in process with this. Like I went Mm -hmm. from a very hardcore evangelical stance that abortion is wrong every time. And the more I learn, the less I know. And that has been beautiful and fascinating. And another resource, Nadia Boltz-Weber, her book, Shameless. I loved that. I didn't agree with all of it across the board, but I really appreciated what she had to say about abortion. And I really appreciated how she talked about the history of abortion, like you said, in mm-hmm. our country and why that matters. I think it is interesting that historically from a Christian perspective, she says Christians did not believe life to begin until they took their first breath, mm-hmm. which echoes our creation narrative of having the spirit of God or the breath of God, the breath of life. And that was fascinating to me. And I, again, I don't know exactly where I stand on it. This is one of those topics that I have moved from a hard certainty into that gray place of mystery. And this is where I don't know is my favorite academic Mm. answer right now. Mm -hmm. As I continue to gather and get more research, as I continue to journey with other women who have had abortions and I continue to sit with people and gain more experience in that because I haven't experienced that personally. So Mm. relationships really matter here and seeking to understand really matters And being willing to say, I don't know, for me, has felt like the most comfortable answer to this topic Mm. right now. Yeah, one of the things that I find ironic about this topic is that it's almost like the two parties are strangely flipped on it. Because this is the one where, for some reason, in this particular case, Republicans all of a sudden want the government to decide and not freedom. Like They pride themselves on being like, we're all about freedom and libertarian ideas, except when it comes to this particular issue, we want the government to decide. Mm. And the Democrats say that they want to be a voice for the voiceless. And I think they are in almost every policy platform, except here, this voiceless child. But you asked me earlier, my shift from the right Right. to the left. And this surprises people often when they say, what's the number one issue? And it's always a wrestle with me between economics and climate change and abortion. But often I say abortion is what made me move left because I passionately don't like abortions and find them immoral. And I believe that the democratic and leftist policies lower abortions. And it's the right way to fight this battle is mm. to create space for biomedically ethic difficulty. You can't make it illegal. I, Kyle actually pointed this out to me the other day. How would you even criminalize it? Would women have to hide their miscarriages and prove to someone that it wasn't mm. an abortion? A lot of people don't think through what criminalizing abortion even looks like. Roe versus Wade is about the first trimester. A lot of people don't know the history of Roe versus Wade and what's up to the states. And yet everyone is like, let's just pack the Supreme Court with conservatives to flip Roe versus Wade. Well, guess what? That was since 1973, 11 of the 17 Supreme Court justices that have been appointed have been appointed by Republicans. Roe versus Wade hasn't flipped. And it was originally on a court that was 7-2 conservatives. It's not an issue that people think. They think, I've got to vote for the Supreme Court for abortion. It's like, well, guess what? Trump's appointee, Gorsuch, he already voted in favor of abortion rights in Louisiana because Republicans support Supreme Court nominees for corporate tax law. 
Mm-hmm. That's what they're appointing Supreme Court. Mm-hmm. That's not what they're, they're not interested. They're just interested in using that evangelical base, uh, tugging at their heartstrings, you know? And so it's really complicated. I yeah. appreciate the idea of uh, if you're going to be pro-life, you have to be for life mm-hmm. after birth as well. Right. Like this includes the death penalty mm-hmm. and healthcare, healthcare. Mm-hmm. And I mean, there's foster care. Like foster care, you know, it's so fast. So for me, it's, if you're going to say you're pro-life, but then also then vote for the death penalty, I understand there's this idea of innocence versus guilty. I, mm-hmm. I do recognize that that is complex. But if you're for life, you're for life. Right. And it has to, or you're just pro-birth. Mm-hmm. And I, I think, I mean, there's value in that too as well. But I do think it's a really complicated issue. And I do think that when you vote, you can't, I actually, I, I can't tell you what to do. You can do whatever you want to do. Mm-hmm. Um, you can vote however you feel led and passionate to vote. And my hope would be that you would not be a one issue voter mm. because all of these things are so complex and they do play together. They're all in lockstep with each other. And I want to say something really positive about my conservative friends, really positive. My conservative Republican friends who vote on this one issue, I, I just have so much in common with them. Like I love their heart. I love that they want to give a voice to a voice. And I have so much agreement with them. And I just want to affirm, like, I'm so glad that you care about unborn babies. I think that's wonderful. I think you may not know the whole story. Um, like, we're all blind to certain things, but your heart is really wonderful. And I really want to help people go, okay, let's go, little, let's go farther down the rabbit hole. Like, let's take that heart and passion for unborn babies and let's figure out how to save the most babies. And I love, contra some of my lived liberal experience, how many of my conservative friends are so consistently passionate about abortion that they foster and adopt and they mm-hmm. provide a way of creating life because they're not all, but a lot of them are just amazing people. And again, I like to distinguish between the voters and the leadership and the platform. Right. So many of the voters are just such wonderful sisters and siblings and brothers in Christ that I look up to. Yeah, I just go, oh, but there's so much to this topic. It's yeah. a little hairier than most of us want to get into. Yeah, yeah it but is. we got to, we got to do it. We yeah. do have to get into it. Yeah. yeah. Shaleen, you and I haven't been in a situation where we've had to actually like entertain the idea of an abortion. We haven't been in a situation where we weren't in a secure relationship financially. You know, we, we weren't in situations where we were forced to have that option. Right. And so I think that's something we're engaging with for the first time too, is, is trying to understand why would women choose this? Let's go in and ask those questions, and that might frame how we engage with this topic. And let's ask them with empathy and compassion, yeah, not with judgment and with shame. A hundred percent. And I love Rachel Held Evans when she says, we have to work together, pro-life and pro-choice, Democrat and Republican, conservative Christian and progressive Christian, to create a culture of life that celebrates families and makes it easier to have and raise kids. This is the only way to make our efforts at ratifying abortion truly sustainable. That is what I love, the politics of family, that we would see ourselves as one human family and not be mad or fight the person who's thinking differently than you, but saying, what do we truly want? Let's all work together towards that. And I think it's important. Holland and I are not telling you how to vote. We're actually not using this platform for how to vote. I know a lot of other Christians do that. I'm not at that place yet, but I am telling you to critically think about the embedded ideologies and embedded theologies that you have and to examine those. Mm -hmm. I would encourage you to look at abortion from a different perspective with a fresh eye and a desire to seek understanding 
and a desire to engage in this conversation with empathy and compassion. Yeah. So we're not telling you what the right answer is. We don't actually know the right answer, but we do know let's get curious and let's start to boldly explore what this looks like Mm -hmm. and what does it mean to live as one human family and how, how do we address life? How do we be pro-life overall? Mm -hmm. Right. And pro-life can also mean you're actually pro-choice at the same time. And really for the first time in my life, I'm truly starting to recognize that. So again, I don't know. I'm wrestling with this conversation. I'm wrestling with myself. I'm wrestling with my own politics. And I invite you into that journey. Yeah, it's beautiful. In the spirit of transformation, we reserve the right to evolve, change our minds, and make many, many, many mistakes. For resources discussed in this podcast, writings, and partnership opportunities, head to our website, desertvoices.com. Come engage with us on social media at desertvoices underscore SC. We'd love to hear from you and connect with you. To support us and join the movement, it is so helpful to review, subscribe, and share this podcast. You can also support us on Patreon. Until then, go be free, flourish. Okay, so I had this strange experience after or while we were in the process of recording this episode, a candid conversation on abortion. I was at the skate park with my kids and a good friend came up with a new friend. We introduced ourselves and Somehow the conversation veered towards politics and the election and abortion came up and I found I was talking about some of the things we've been discussing in this episode here. And then I said, you know, I'm pro-choice and the conversation ended and they walked away and I sat with that for a moment and I realized, you know, that's not sitting well with me. I'm actually not pro-choice the way we think of pro-choice or the way pro-choice is currently constructed. I am for life. I truly do believe in life and I believe in all life from the womb to the grave. And I realized I don't believe in abortion as birth control. I don't believe in the morality of that. And I'm not necessarily pro-choice in that way, but I'm also not pro-life the way pro-life is currently constructed, that I am for life across the board. I'm not just pro-birth. And I do think that criminalizing abortion is not actually going to help. I don't believe That is our best policy. And I do believe there are times and places and instances where abortion is the best option. And I do believe in a woman's right to choose what is best for her in that way. So I'm not pro-life necessarily the way I have grown up with understanding pro-life. And I'm not pro-choice the way it's currently constructed. So I call Holland and I'm like, Holland, I just told someone I was pro-choice. And I realize I'm not pro-choice the way most of us think of that. But I'm also, again, not pro-life. What do I do? And Holland was so sweet. She texts me back and she says, you know, I think you and I are pro-conversation. And I loved that. That helped give me language that I was missing. So I went back over to my friend and I said, you know, I'm so sorry. I have to revisit that conversation. I'm not pro-choice the way we think about it. And I'm not pro-life the way we think about it. I'm pro-conversation. And I think this is a very important conversation to continually be having. And I do think we need better policies around abortion. I don't think it's black and white. It's not one or the other. And so for those of you who are in that liminal space, maybe that's a term we can now coin for all of us, that we're pro-conversation. 